You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change. Hello and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change podcast. I'm Ross Kenyon. I'm the creative editor at Nori's Carbon Removal Marketplace. Radhika Mulgavkar, Nori's head of supply and methodology, is here co-hosting with me today. Hey, Radhika. Hi, Ross. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, I described you as having a transport policy background, <laughs> which makes it sound very spaceporty, spaceshipy. But you just uh, have a, yeah, to make you sound really cool. It makes me sound like I might be more like Jeff Bezos than I really am. <laughs> Yeah, something about dropping the Asian at the end of transport makes it sound way, way fancier, but it's still very important. We have an alumna coming back to the show, Wired senior writer Kate Nibbs returning. We did a show about a year ago. I think it was right as COVID was taking off. Because I remember you mentioned that your your partner, your husband was quarantined and sick, hopefully all better now. But that was one of the first, I think you were the first person I met who had a direct COVID link. Yes, that was uh, the last time we spoke was a very tumultuous period of, I think, everyone's lives, but definitely mine. My husband is recovered, but he did have COVID. Yeah, he's all better now, though. So that's good. And we're we're all fully vaccinated. So it feels like we're turning a, a very positive corner. Indeed. Yeah, I think we all feel that that sort of relief come in. I love that episode. It's still one of my favorites. The hottest new literary genre is Doomer Lit. It was a piece that you wrote, which absolutely caught my eye. I wanted to talk about cli-fi, climate fiction, all of the subgenres affiliated with that. And uh, so if you're listening for the first time and you like what we're talking about, this episode is going to be a little bit different, but you can definitely go back and listen to it because I really enjoyed it when we talked yeah, more than a year ago now. But you have a new piece that came out called Freedom, Mayhem, and the Uncertain Future of Revel's Zippy Mopeds. So how this? I think you're, you're a culture writer. I guess you can make anything mm-hmm. culture, but this seems like a new kind of beat for you a little bit. Definitely. It's slightly out of my beat, but I wrote it because I really love riding mopeds. And <laughs> I had been that. sort of searching for someone to do a deeper dive into the electric mopeds that are being popularized in big cities in the States. And I just decided to write it myself. I actually started reporting this piece before I even talked to you. I went to speak with the Revel founders for the first time in late February, 2020. And then it ended up getting put on pause because of COVID and I didn't end up returning to it until the fall And it was really interesting because basically the company had gone through this completely wild summer in between and almost imploded, basically. Um, So it really changed the story that I ended up writing. What is different about these? I can't really keep track of all the competitors for micro mobility and these little scooters. All I know is that they look like they bleed money because I only ever see them neglected. I once saw a guy run up and just kick one, like square on the frame of a bike, uh, mm-hmm. just because. I've seen pictures of them in weird places, thrown into waterways. Is anyone making money on these? Is this, is this viable? Or are they all just bleeding VC money and hoping that one of these takes somewhere? Uh, for a long time, a lot of the kick scooter rental companies like the scooters that I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how to describe them for a way that people who can't like see me attempting to make body movements like I'm riding them make sense but kick scooters are the scooters that have a handle and then a little skateboard pad and those are more common 
those are probably the ones that you've seen people throw and kick and people are generally pretty pissed off about them because a lot of the startups who brought them to cities didn't really think about how annoying they would be for pedestrians. So they just sort of are littered throughout the streets and are sometimes thought of as a nuisance. Those kick scooters are largely unprofitable, I believe, still. And they definitely were bleeding VC money. The mopeds are also like tough to make profitable, but Revel was profitable last summer for a brief period. And it doesn't seem totally out of the range of possibility that they will become profitable. It just, it's an expensive thing to run. So I think the margins are always going to be pretty slim. Like there's a lot of upkeep on these vehicles. Cause as you were saying, they get worn out. Like even if people aren't actively trying to destroy them, there's still a lot of mechanical maintenance that goes into keeping up a fleet of vehicles that people like different people are riding all over the place. So I hope that they find a path to profitability because I actually like the mopeds a lot more than I like the kick scooters. I think they actually have a lot of functionality in certain cities. Um, whereas the kick scooters, I guess they do too, but they're sort of like for more casual riding. And I personally have had to use the mopeds to get around Brooklyn just because of where I live and where I work. There like, isn't, there isn't an easier way. Sorry, I'm just kind of rambling, but I do. <laughs> this is a, a long-winded answer of saying it's hard to make them profitable, but I think they potentially could be. So, Kate, I I loved your piece. I particularly liked how you opened it up because I could just imagine, like, on a hot, humid day, the wind in my hair kind of feeling, though these scooters do not exist yet in Seattle, but I pictured it. It was a great start. As I was reading it, I was struck by some of the early days of Uber and Lyft and like how they had to subsidize the model to make it work. And then everybody wants it to continue to be subsidized. And now, now as the reporting has been showing, they've increased prices, which is causing panic and they're still not profitable. So how do you think you scale something like this, especially because this company Revel doesn't want it to be a gig economy thing. They want their staff to be paid. I think the answer is their rides aren't that cheap. They're cheaper than Uber and Lyft right now. Right now, definitely. Um, but they have gotten more expensive since they launched and they need to be. They can't afford to do it any other way or else they're just going to keep taking huge losses. And as you said, it's going to turn into a situation where eventually their customers get extremely upset when they have to jack up the prices to survive. I think one of Revel's biggest challenges is going to be the fact that it now has serious competitors. This summer, Lime just released mm -hmm. its own moped fleet, and Lime doesn't have the same commitment to not using gig workers. So they might have an easier time. And it's also just a much bigger company. They might be able to keep their prices lower than Revel. And Revel's probably going to have to hope that people are as enthralled by the no gig economy hook as they are by really cheap moped rides <laughs> because it's going to be tough for them. Lime debuted its mopeds like right before this article was being published. So I'm hoping I can do a follow-up in like a year or two because I think it's really going to change the 
marketplace like it used to. There wasn't a a big name in this marketplace until Lime came in. Like Revel is a very small company still, which is why I'm kind of rooting for them because I like the idea of of uh, more smaller companies actually making a mark in the rideshare space. And I also do like that they are committed to not using gig workers. Like I, I think it's genuinely an admirable stance for the company to take. Yeah, I would say they certainly seem like they thought through a lot of the issues that some of the earlier micromobility companies did not like working with the government rather than in opposition to the government in some ways. So I have a question if you know how did their how does their bike service that you ended with has that taken off and helped them kind of establish Revel establish more of a foothold? I don't think so. It's still really small. There's a ride share coming with a fleet of Teslas, but it hasn't even launched yet because they're actually running in, into regulatory issues in New York. And because they're like only doing it if New York approves, they have, they've been sort of stymied there. I'm still, I'm not exactly sure if, if it will even happen now because it doesn't see, it seems like uh, the city doesn't want it to happen. Like they're only giving, X amount of new rideshare companies permission to launch. It's still mainly the mopeds. Like the mopeds are the thing. As much as they're trying really hard to diversify, I think the mopeds are going to continue being the thing until either the rideshare gets permission. Although I don't even know how appealing, like I don't know that many people who are like, I must ride in a Tesla. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Especially because there's, yeah, there's, a number of different, like there's a new rideshare co-op that just came out in New York called the Drivers Co-op that has a model where all of the drivers own the company. So I feel like if people are looking for like the ethical alternative to Uber or Lyft, there's already competitors. They might not be so keen on using Revel service. The other thing that they're doing is electric car charging stations but Mm -hmm. that also hasn't launched yet so i feel like they have they have three different potential avenues to diversify to get out of just being a moped company but none of them have none of them have really taken off like the e-bike i saw one e-bike but it's still a thing where there's like a very limited quantity and it's just in new york it hasn't entered the other markets yet i feel kind of stupid asking this but these Businesses seem impossible to me. I always thought that Uber and Lyft's model was to, yeah, bleed out money until uh, <laughs> self-driving cars were here and they could replace the sort of gig economy model and then just, it'd be robots, right? As, but how do you do that if you have guys driving around in vans picking up discarded scooters all over sidewalks? It seems like the interaction between software and the real world is really challenging and because no one owns these things or they're just kind of all over the place, it seems like they're neglected. I don't know. I don't know that I would invest in a company like this, but it's kind of a silly way to ask it. Am I dumb, Kate, for the record? No, I don't think so. But I just think there is a big difference between the kick scooters and the mopeds. And I mean, I probably wouldn't. I'm not an investor. I, I don't know how sound either model is. I think they're both really challenging, but this one definitely makes more sense especially because Revel is positioning itself once it gets these other projects off the ground as is, is not so much being like a micro mobility company as 
being an electric vehicle company. And I mean, I, I don't think it's controversial to say that electric vehicles definitely are the way we're headed in terms of individual transportation. And so if you, if they get out far enough ahead of it, maybe like they, I could see them positioning themselves really well, like in the electric vehicle charging space. And then it won't really matter that the mopeds end up not being that profitable. But again, I really like the mopeds. I, I also think that e-bikes and mopeds are going to be important to the future of dense cities. So it doesn't seem impossible to me that a company like this has a successful future. But again, yeah, I don't know. You're definitely not stupid. I think it would be stupid to just like throw a bunch of money into this without thinking it through. You have a great comparison in the piece, uh, which labels some of these transportation solutions as sorbet. How do you frame what micro-mobility is supposed to replace inside of urban environments or maybe even other environments as well? I think it is the sorbet. Like, I don't think we need or should want a world where micro-mobility is the dominant form of getting around. I think what we really need in every global city, including every American city, is reliable public transport. Like the public transport is the thing, like mass transit is absolutely necessary to a thriving city. If these ended up replacing trains and buses, I think it would be a disaster. Like we would just end up with our streets super crowded with scooters and it would be segways. I think. And, yeah, which and I think they're trying to get rid of scooters there. because They're like, oh, this really? is awful. Isn't it like yeah. nothing, nothing but scooters in Hanoi? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that we should want micro-mobility to become the dominant form of mobility. Like I'm a hundred percent in support of investing in like green and efficient and smart mass transit. That said, like until her mass transit systems are fixed and fully funded, I do think that like small electric vehicles like e-bikes and electric mopeds are good alternative to using gas-based ride shares. I would rather see people on them than a street full of Ubers. I just have one quick clarifying question. I've been, I use scooters too broadly. When I talk about Hanoi, I'm talking about like little Vespa-E, sit-down, moped kind of things. Are you talking about Hanoi is trying to get rid of those? Or do you mean like yes, the push? Like, oh, wow. Like the rebel okay. scooters. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Ross is like, mind is blown right now. <laughs> yeah. What's going to happen? Okay. Go, go ahead, though, Radic. I just want to make sure no, I had that right. Yeah. No, I have, after that question, my mind has gone a multiple different places. But I think one of the things that I was curious about, and maybe this has been answered already, but can a rebel or a micro mobility company like that really scale in a medium-sized city because it feels like you need the right type of population density. So to me, when I think about it, in some ways, I think like it's a great solution for a smaller city that can't afford mass transit in a meaningful way. But on the other hand, can a company like that scale when you don't have the population density to make it profitable? Yeah, I, I don't know. There's also the issue of weather. You know, yeah. there might be a city that's perfect in every way for Revel to flourish, but if it's super cold all the time, no one wants to be on a moped. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, they really struggled in Austin, which huh. had the weather and seemed like the right size and also seemed like it had a good population because there's a lot of 
tech techie people who like taking a chance on new startups, but they just couldn't make enough inroads to convince people to switch from driving and they had to pull out. So finding the right cities to operate in is really important. Honestly, Seattle might be a good one. Do you still have e-bikes in Seattle? Yeah, I mean, yes, and we have scooters, but you know, Seattle's had a long history of fighting with, I think, their micro-mobility folks because of safety issues and helmet issues, which you talked about. And I think we were very late in adopting scooters. And I mean, you know, the, what you were talking about, the electric stand-up push, whatever you want to call them. But And now, to your point that earlier, they're all over our city and littering our city. And I think people are kind of frustrated with them. Though our CEO uses it regularly, so it is a solution that for some people. Does Paul zip around on those a lot? <laughs> I've heard a couple times he showed up. He's like, "I'm getting on the scooter to get to work oh, yeah, on time." <laughs> I've only ridden one of those once or twice in Denver, and I felt like my life was seriously at risk because they would accelerate really fast. I'd be like, "I'm lucky I'm halfway coordinated." I think people might really hurt themselves, and this has been a problem for Revel, it seems too. Oh yeah, I mean, for me, the big existential threat to Revel will always be safety, even though cars are really dangerous too. So sometimes I feel a little bad that they are so scrutinized because of their safety record. I shouldn't say I feel bad though, because they deserve to be scrutinized because of their safety record. And it is legitimately very dangerous way to get around if you don't know how to drive a moped. And the whole premise of Revel succeeding is that a bunch of people have to learn how to drive mopeds. So there's inevitably going to be safety issues. Like I really wish that they would make their driving classes mandatory, even though that would be really hard to scale. Like they have virtual classes now, but I think that you sort of need to do it in person. I already knew how to ride a moped. Although I learned, like I learned by basically riding them around um, Southeast Asia when I shouldn't have because I didn't know how and I crashed one over there once too. Yeah, yeah. like it dangerous. wasn't safe. <laughs> it wasn't safe when I learned. But when Revel arrived, I felt comfortable getting on it only because I already knew how to drive a moped and I was comfortable. And a lot of my friends think it's completely reckless to ride one in New York. Like I have probably more than 50% of my friends won't ride Revels. And I don't think that's unreasonable. Like, I think it's a good thing that people are cautious because it's it's a motorized vehicle and you're riding it in the street with cars and trucks. And I think that, I mean, it's I'm watching very closely this summer to see what happens because their ridership really jumps up during the summer times. And this is the first summer since they implemented their new safety measures. So it's going to be like the first real stress test for whether they are sufficient and if they're not, then the company is probably not going to be around for much longer, whether they voluntarily pull themselves off the streets or whether the city does it. There's definitely a lot of people watching very closely. So we'll see what happens. So, Kate, one thing I was curious about was you mentioned a lot of the statistics in New York City. Um, did they see similar types of accidents and injuries and unfortunately, death in some of the other cities they launched in? Or was it bad luck no. of New York? So New York was the only city with fatalities. In, in the fall, there was a situation where there was one fatality in Washington, D.C., but it wasn't 
it was a situation where someone riding a rebel ended up having an encounter with a police officer. And it, so it was, it wasn't the same thing. It wasn't an X, it wasn't a crash, Mm -hmm. but New York has by far the biggest fleet and it has by far the most established ridership. And so I think that's why there are only fatalities in New York. It's just because it's not as frequently used in like Miami and some of the other cities, but I'm sure there were injuries. I just didn't end up grabbing all the data. It was it was actually surprisingly hard to like get all of the data for that. Revel itself's safety report was focused on New York. Yeah, so I mean, the other cities, people need to be just as cautious in San Francisco and Oakland and Miami and Washington DC as they are in New York. It's just it just so happens that all of the fatalities were in New York. Radhika, you have a background in this sort of city-level planning. How do you think cities should be thinking about this stuff? I guess, Kate, you're welcome to chime in here, too. I'm not interviewing uh, Radhika. Except now yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, like, the podcast has been turned on me. I've thought about it a lot. I think one of the challenges, and that's what I was kind of alluding to earlier, is to make anything like this successful, you need a certain amount of population density. And because or you need heavy, heavy subsidies. And so how you balance that, I mean, even if you look in Europe, which is so vaunted, it's not like it's all parts of London are accessible by the tube or all parts of Madrid are accessible by their transit system. It's the same here. And so I think what it boils down to is a real commitment at a policy level to subsidize what is right both in terms of, I think, overall human health, which is not sitting in cars and traffic for multiple hours, and also the environmental impacts of putting people into mass transit. And as a side note, what I worry about more than anything right now is the fact that COVID has just made mass transit kind of anathema to many, many people. Like they're very nervous about returning. And at least in the city of Seattle and in King County, it took us years to build our ridership to the points that they are at. And then to just lose them overnight is a huge blow. And then the second thing I think about is as budgets get cut because of COVID, if they get cut because of COVID at the local level, there has to be the policy priority that transit just is not something that you cut. And then there's a space for this micro mobility for, as Kate kind of talked about, more local rides. The last mile, we talk a lot about the last mile issue in transit where you get dropped off, but you're a mile from your home and you don't want... So instead of having a car pick you up, could a moped, like an electric moped, a Revel play a role in that? So I think there are lots of interesting creative ways to go, but the commitment at the level of the government is not always there. And I think it's going to be a real uphill battle in the next two to three years with all the issues with COVID and funding and things like that. Definitely. Like the reason I ended up becoming such a Rebel fan is because I happen to live in like two of the neighborhoods in Brooklyn with the worst transit for getting around within Brooklyn. And where I currently live, there's, I live over a mile from the subway, which is rare, but it has made me feel a keen need for this kind of solution. I would prefer if the subway was closer. Don't get me wrong. Like in my ideal world, the subway would be closer. Or they would bring back, there used to be this tram system that went through the neighborhood that I live in. There's like a really old dilapidated tram from like the 1940s that's still like behind the grocery store. And I would love it if they brought the tram back. That would be better than Revel. 
I definitely don't want to give the impression that I'm like <laughs> hoping that micro mobility, private micro mobility companies take over cities because that sounds horrible. I hope, as you're saying, that cities, even even if they are constrained by budget cuts, make a huge priority out of retaining and gaining riders on their transit systems. But I do think as they do that, and even after they do that, if we're going to have private companies offering mobility options, I would much rather have companies like Revel that offer as green of vehicles as you can get, other than like non-electric bikes, and have some hostility towards the gig economy um, (laughs) operating. (laughs) I have very mixed feelings on this, because on the one hand, I'm pretty bought into the ideology of the automobile. I like the idea of a personal transportation unit. God, that makes me sound like a robot. I like the idea of having a personal vehicle because I was an intern in DC once upon a time taking the Metro, wearing a cheap polyester suit, stuck underneath someone's armpit, (laughs) hating life in the summer in DC and being like, this is the future liberals want. It's terrible. I don't want this. I would rather be in my own car. So I think sometimes people over glamorize how great public transport can be. But then uh, also, I don't know. I've also been in places where it's, it's nicer and works better than others. If I had to commute an hour each day in a car, like growing up, uh, I spent a lot of time in Orange County or in like Phoenix and you're in the car for an hour, hour and a half. And I'm sure that was time that my dad could have been home rather than commuting. So I don't know. I have mixed feelings on it, but I sort of love the American obsession with the car. I like it. I can be critical of it too, but I'm not willing to get rid of it yet. Is this maybe like a little bit of a bridge or is this just me being like an American individualist and you can cast me into outer darkness if necessary? <laughs> I don't think we can get rid of cars, even oh, if everyone really wanted to. Like this entire country was literally designed for automobiles. <laughs> I think in dense cities like New York and like DC, like I, I know that probably going on the train in DC sucked, but I'm pretty sure if you were commuting downtown, it would have mm-hmm. been like a parking nightmare too, and you would oh, have definitely. been like, yeah, like driving around in circles cursing. Or paying like I, fifty I th- bucks or something. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I think in major cities, we definitely need to rethink car use and minimize car use and incentivize public transit. But in Orange County. In more spread out cities and in any place that's suburban or rural, I don't see us getting rid of cars anytime soon. I think that's impossible. I think we'll be shifting from gas to electric. But yeah, we need them. The highways connect the different places in the country. And as much, I mean, I love a train. I really do. And I hope that old Mayor Pete figures out a way to implement a better train system. But like, it's not going to replace cars. It's just not. It's also when it comes to getting goods around, like trucking is often a lot more efficient and just makes way more logistical sense than sending like commercial goods on trains because trains don't go everywhere. So I'm definitely not advocating for like the abolishment of cars. And I want to make that really clear because I just wrote an article recently about people who eat bugs. And this whole segment of the internet thought that I was like attempting to ban meat, which I did. I wasn't. Sounds like what um, you're trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so now I'm like, oh my God, like 
the theses, the theses of my articles can get interpreted in really wild ways. Like, I'm not trying to say that because I think Revel can be a benefit to dense cities that cars should not exist because I'm definitely not. And actually, so I, I was just telling you guys that I'm moving to Chicago where I'm buying my first car as an adult mm. when I move to Chicago, just because I'm moving to a neighborhood that is not particularly well served by public transit. And it's really cold there. So I like want to walk less and I'm having a baby. And I think taking a baby on public transit is a whole different ball game than just taking yourself. So yeah, I'm not a car. <laughs> I'm not a car hater. I do think that the urban centers of America would be better served if their streets were, you know, more attuned to pedestrian needs than strictly to car needs. But we need cars. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that recent New York Times article, Kate. This is kind of reflecting back on how like the millennials subsidized economies going away. Did you? I don't know if you saw that mm-hmm. column. But I was curious about that because do you think, just generally speaking, these these solutions, if there aren't, if they aren't will and millennials and Gen Z, which is not neither of my generation embrace these things if they cost what they need to cost. I mean, we talked about it a little bit more, but... Yes, I think that millennials and Gen Z aren't like extreme bargain hunters who only want to take the cheapest form of transportation. I thought that article had a lot of insights, but I thought the framing was odd. I don't think you can talk about a millennial lifestyle subsidy without talking about like why millennials needed their lifestyles to be subsidized. Like (laughs) they don't have any money. Um, And it depends what these things need to cost. Like what's happening right now with Uber and Lyft? They're substantially more expensive, but the drivers are still not getting compensated appropriately. So, the cost should possibly be even higher. What's happening with like a service like Revel, that might be too expensive for certain people just depending on their budget, but I don't think people will be like philosophically opposed to using it because they feel like they're getting ripped off necessarily. I think a lot of the services that we're offering super discounted food delivery and ride shares they like actively courted people with those low prices and then people got accustomed to them. But that doesn't necessarily mean that people thought that was what they should cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> like there was always something wrong with taking like a $6 Uber for 20 miles. Um, <laughs> but it felt so good. You're like, what a deal. <laughs> I know. I know. That's actually been a big problem for me in Brooklyn because I can't ride Revel anymore because I'm too <laughs> pregnant. Right. And I was relying on it and on my bike, which I also can't really ride, to get to doctor's appointments. And now my I have to take an Uber and it is costing me a lot of money, which I'm not <laughs> happy about. But I have, I have no other option. That's the other thing. It's like, are they taking these – are they using these, like, lifestyle startups – why are they using them? Like for me, I'm not using Uber because I am too lazy to take public transit. Like there literally isn't a public transit right. option. Um, 
if there was, I would definitely take it because I can't really even afford to go to my doctor's appointments. I just uh, want to wish Kate the best of luck with the baby and the move that since she told all of our audience about it, I feel like I can say this to her. So congratulations and all the best. Thank you so much. And I know I need to keep on my tradition of coming on this show, like when I'm in the middle of extremely turbulent personal (laughs) changes. (laughs) Check in with me a year from now, and I'm sure something else will be going on. Well, really, we should check in with you the day after the baby's born. I mean, if you really want (laughs) want to. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Well, where can people keep up with your work, Kate? What's the best way for them to do so? Um, Well, I'm writing on for Wired. So uh, if you go to Wired and search for my articles, I also have a Twitter. My Twitter handle is just my last name, which is Nibs, which is K-N-I-B-B-S. So it's at Nibs. And I usually post links to my stories on my account, but I also post a bunch of really ridiculous stuff too, just a warning. And yeah, that's probably it. Well, thanks for coming back. It's always nice to have alumni back on this show. And I'm sure we will have you back on the future. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, sorry, I just opined wildly on the car. Uh, I hope that's... (laughs) I'm going to use this opportunity to make an adjacent commentary. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, if you like things of that nature, please give us a great rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Send this to a friend interested in why all those scooters are all over the place. And thank you so much for listening. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and or Stitcher. It really helps us a lot to get this content to a wider audience. If you think what we're doing is useful, interesting, fun, hopefully all three, we'd certainly appreciate your rating and review. You can keep up with Nori at Nori.com where there is a newsletter. That's Nori.com slash subscribe. There's podcast. There's a whole bunch else. Or you can send us an email at podcast at Nori.com. We are also now on Patreon at patreon.com slash Nori Podcasts if you'd like more content, engagement, and community. And thank you so much for your support.